0: Good evening, good afternoon, whichever it is for you. Hello and welcome to the fourth class in our Two Towers series. Today we finish up, or endeavor to finish up, uh, book three, Sort of. Oh, good morning, of course, to you uh, in New Zealand, Chris. Uh, absolutely. I didn't mean to be uh, 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 other side of the world insensitive in my greetings. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so we're, uh, we're, we're uh, going to be trying to finish up book three, though, of course, when I say finishing, I don't uh, obviously mean discussing everything there is to discuss. There are many more things that we can talk about. But um, the, what I w- mostly wanted to focus on uh, today was Saruman. You know, This is something that I've been thinking about, especially since uh, thinking back to the first discussion that we had in the very first uh, class when we were looking at the decisions that Aragorn was making and the basis of those decisions. We ended up talking about that quite a bit in the second class also. Um, and so I want to be keeping in mind that stuff and the premises upon which Aragorn was making his uh, his decisions and those, those, those topics. As we go on and look at Saruman and what it is that makes Saruman... What he is, you know, what sort of leads him to the conclusions that he makes. One of the sort of the basic questions uh, that uh, kind of led me to uh, to this topic today. is at first, I was kind of primed for it by the by that first discussion. But one of the things that really kind of struck me, which never really struck me so much before, um, when I was reading through it this past time, was the number of times Saruman is called a fool. Um Gandalf calls him a fool many times and there's a uh, but he's all referring to himself as one of the wise. And those words wisdom and wise and fool and fool and folly uh, are thrown about quite a bit uh in this uh passage. So um you know in these chapters so sort of it just kind of got me thinking what is he? Is he a fool or is he wise? Those things are theoretically opposite of each other, right? Um so uh you know it, which is it, and how exactly does that work? Um, yeah, yeah, Yana is right that Gandalf calls lots of people fools. Uh, it's true, that is a favorite, uh, uh, that is is that that is an insult to which uh, Gandalf often has recourse. But, um, and you're right, he does call uh, Sauron a wise fool, um, which I actually think is, in a sense, what Saruman is as well, actually. But, um uh, let's um, but let's 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 actually look at some of these passages and uh, and, and see how this works. Um, I have a hope by the way vain, though it may appear, that I'm going to get through the material on Saruman that I really wanted to focus on, uh, and still have time for uh, some other topics that you guys might want to talk about. So again, I urge you, if you have a a separate topic that you would like to discuss, something that interests you particularly in these few chapters, um, if you would type that into the questions box, start with the word topic, uh, and then a colon, and then tell me what your topic is, so that I can sort of scan back uh, and try to find them. You know, when I'm sitting there and I've come to the end of my material and find that there's still just an enormous stretch of time out in front of me before the end of class, It so frequently happens to me, Uh, then I'll I'll go back and look through the topics. Um, And predictably, all of my uh, experienced Mythgard students are laughing riotously at me at this moment. Um, But anyway, let's talk about Saruman. Um, First, here's the description that Aragorn gives of the power of Saruman. And you'll recall the context of this is when uh, Merry and Pippin are talking about the siege of Isengard. They're talking about the attack on Isengard by the Ents. Uh, and Pippin wonders if, uh, if maybe... Sauron was actually, or Saruman, excuse me, was ever quite so much as, as, as people made out. You know, if maybe his fame was due to his, his cleverness and having settled at Isengard, um, rather than actually, you know, being very powerful in himself. And Aragorn clarifies and says, no, 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 that's not true. Um, and he explains, once he was as great as his fame made him. By the way, I, I, I've, I've probably said this before, but I want to repeat it again. While I'm reading the passages, I like to read them out so that they're really fresh in, in our ears um, and because uh, I really want to draw attention to what's there. While I'm reading, if there are particular observations that you have things that jump out at you that you think are really interesting or important or maybe a question that you have about this particular passage, go ahead and type that out while I'm reading it through. That way it makes it easier for me to go back and incorporate your observations um, right afterwards. Once he was as great as his fame made him, His knowledge was deep, his thought was subtle, and his hands marvelously skilled, and he had a power over the minds of others. The wise he could persuade, and the smaller folk he could daunt. That power he certainly still keeps. There are not many in Middle-earth that I should say were safe if they were left alone to talk with him, even now when he has suffered a defeat. Gandalf, Elrond, and Galadriel, perhaps, now that his wickedness has been laid bare, but very few others. Okay. Now. What do you notice about this? What what are we being told about the power of Saruman here? Now, obviously, what Aragorn spends the most time on here is on the power that he has over the minds and wills of others, right? In other words, he sounds kind of... Sauron ish, right? He sounds kind of Sauron light. We know that Sauron made the ring of power so that he could dominate the minds of others, one ring to rule them all, and all that. And it sort of seems, uh, you know, on the surface, like, you know, Saruman is all about ruling others and dominating the wills of others. He had a power over the minds of others. That sounds bad, right? I mean, like intrinsically bad. As in, why didn't everybody realize he was bad? Kind of bad. I mean, like, you know, somebody who's, you know, it's like so, Saruman. What are you bringing to the table here? What do you have to contribute to the to the to the White Council? And he's like, "Well, Golladriel, uh, Elrond, Gandalf, Cirdan. Uh, I uh, let me tell you, I actually am really good at dominating small, weak minds. I can daunt them." I'm like, oh well, that sounds useful. Why don't you come and join us? I mean, you you sort of think like that's something that maybe should have set off a a red flag, um, but I actually don't think that that's necessarily the case. First of all. One thing to observe here is that, um, well, okay, hang on a second. It certainly is the case that dominating the minds of others is a bad thing. Not trying to argue that, like, oh, but often that's fine. No, what I'm saying is that, um, Saruman's power extends beyond that. And the question is not really about the power that he has, but the way in which he chooses to apply it, um, One side thing to note, though, before we get too caught up in that, Gandalf, Elrond, and Galadriel, perhaps, now that his wickedness has been laid bare, but very few others. Note the implication of that last sentence. Aragorn's implication in that last sentence is that Saruman did, in fact, have the power to... Uh, at least deceive, if not actually to influence and persuade is the word he used, the wise he could persuade, that he had power of a kind over Gandalf, Elrond, and Galadriel, that he could exert his power and influence even them. Um, Gandalf himself implies as much in the Council of Elrond when he's talking back uh, about the previous uh, meetings of the White Council and about uh, Saruman's Assurances that the One Ring has rolled down the river to the sea. Um, and Gandalf says there, I was at fault and lulled by the words of Saruman. Um, and again, Gandalf doesn't say like, oh, he cast a spell upon me. And I was, but right, I mean, he does say he was persuaded by Saruman. And uh, so, I mean, that that's, it's clear that that happened. So notice Aragorn, his implication, G- Gandalf, Elrond, and Galadriel, it's not that they are so much greater than he, that they are immune or something. They would not be deceived by him now because his wickedness has been laid bare. Now they're on their guard against him. So when they're talking to him, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, there's, there's a 0% chance now of them being persuaded. But very few other people in Middle-earth would Aragorn consider safe being with him. That they, he could talk them around to anything. He could sway them and influence them. Um, This isn't exactly the same thing as, you know, Sauron wanting to enslave other minds. Um, Would Saruman get there? Possibly. But that's, again, not quite how Aragorn talks about this. Um, uh, Good. I want to go on in here in a second, but let me see some of the other observations that you guys have uh, have made. Yes, Diego, you made a, a good point. You're you're exactly anticipating where I'm going next. So you'll you'll we'll talk about that in just a second. Very good. Um. Yeah, Kirsten says, The discussion of Saruman's hands being marvelously skilled jumped out at me as you read. You don't see many examples of this, more his intellect and voice. Are there any examples in other texts about the works of Saruman's hands? Did he attempt to make rings of power, for instance? Yes, he did. Um, And we're told that he's wearing one, that there's a ring on his hand, When Gandalf reports that at the Council of Elrond, he mentions that there was a ring on his finger. Doesn't say anything else about it. Um, But apparently he has made a ring of power. Now, it's equally obvious that Saruman knows full well he has not mastered that craft. because obviously mean, he's still seeking the one ring and everything so it's not like he's uh he believes he has you know reached uh you know advancements in the in the uh, in the technology of ring making that now makes the finding of the one ring superfluous or something um he knows that he's still not that good but he is uh doing that but kirsten you're right we don't get many other instances uh of this we don't see anything else that he crafts that's the only thing i can think of that's that is a product of the work of Saruman's hands. Um, In fact, what he is primarily associated with, as far as that stuff goes, is taking advantage of the things that were crafted by others, like, for instance, Orthonk, the tower that was built by the men of Numenor, um, or the, the Palantir, of course. You know, these are all things that he has... Obtained things that he has gotten access to, things that he has taken, sort of claimed to himself and uh, used to support his own power, but we don't see him making up stuff. Now, again, I guess, Kirsten, the other example that we do see, uh, sort of thinking as I'm talking here, is of course the devilry with which he takes the walls of Helm's Deep. Um, If he's made something, Kirsten, it would seem to be the cannon or explosive device that he uses, that he brings out in the siege um, of Helm's Deep. Though, though Kirsten, your point is still really interesting, because again, that's not emphasized, right? Um, The only reference to it, apart from the description of its action, is that one line that I already just alluded to when Aragorn says, they have brought a devilry from Orthanc. Um, that's not real descriptive, right? And certainly not a lot of emphasis is placed on Saruman craftsmen, right? Um, but, but the interesting thing is... I mean, of course we see, and we see this very strongly in the Silmarillion, um, you know, that the, the greatest sub-creators are the ones who have the power to go most far wrong, as we certainly see both in Melkor and also in Feanor, that, you know, the, uh, craftsmanship is a great thing, is a very good thing, but of course it can go very far awry um, uh, if, when it goes bad. So, um so the fact that someone who is, whose hands are marvelously skilled turns to evil like Saruman, lots of precedent for that kind of thing. Um, but, but it doesn't seem to be connected with his, uh, with his going wrong. Like Feanor, what seemed to lead Feanor wrong was loving too much the work of his own hands, right? Like Turgon eventually did. Um, again, thinking Silmarillion here. Uh, and we don't see that with Saruman it's not like he he's created you know he has subcreated something wonderful and fantastic um, but then his desire for it leads him astray and he makes it an ends he makes it an end or you know whatever it sort of perverts his um, his uh, his his overall view like Fëanor's view gets perverted um we don't see that with Saruman and again the only things that are emphasized about him as far as his his skillfulness his craftiness to use that word in a strange way, is um, is his ring-making, his research into the making of the rings of power. But what I'd say there, Kirsten, is that it's not a question of him taking, um, you know, his subcreative inclinations leading him awry, but rather his going awry leading him to pursue sub-creation, if you see what I mean. That is... It, at what point did Saruman go bad? That's not clear. That's an open question, right? People are asking the question, was he on a crooked path even way back when, right? At what point does Saruman begin to go bad? And there's a fair bit of evidence that it goes back quite a way. I mean, we can even see some warning signs, um you know which of course Tolkien is writing later on if you read unfinished tales and and the and his essay on the Astari, uh Tolkien is sort of implanting some evidence that Saruman is already um uh deviating a bit and wavering uh in his loyalties way back uh, like before he came to middle earth so um so again with him it doesn't seem to be the subcreation and the love for his subcreation which leads him astray but rather he seems to take up Craftsmanship, in order to pursue his desire to dominate others. Um, so, anyways, I think that that's. A, but but Kirsten, I certainly do agree that that's a really interesting point about Saruman and the fact that it that he doesn't come in for more emphasis um, on uh, uh, on on his craftsmanship is, I think, something that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, good. Um. Oh, Don, that's a fascinating point. Lots of comments, which I'm not going to be able to uh, get to all of. But uh, uh, Don says, Saruman, like everything in Middle-earth is lesser than he was. But of course, Don also points out, like everything in Middle-earth, except Gandalf is lesser than he was. And that is kind of interesting. Gandalf alone is increasing in power. But I don't think, of course, Don, it's exactly him moving in the opposite direction, right? I mean, it's like, you know, Gandalf has, like, had a blip in his graph, and he's going to start declining <laughs> again, right? Uh, but uh, probably, presumably. Uh, but he did, get a, he, did get a, he did get a boost there. Um, But, uh, but yeah, though, I mean, of course, certainly, I think the implications of the text here in these passages is not just that he is, you know, fading and becoming less as all things tend to do in Middle-earth, but rather that his choices are corrupting him and his corruption is weakening him, um, as we see happening, for instance, with Morgoth, um, in the Silmarillion. Um, yeah, good, good, um... Okay, I agree. Theoden does do pretty well, considering. Um, so does Gimli, by the way. I mean, the fact that Gimli is the one to speak out, the first one to speak out, um, and point out that the words of this wizard stand on their heads, um, Gimli doesn't seem to be daunted uh, either. Now, Gandalf is, points out afterwards that it was foolish of of Saruman to try to influence so many of them at once, uh, to, to appear to all of them, um, so, you know, the likelihood of its success is, is lesser than it would be otherwise. But, uh, um, but I agree. He um, the, There is some evidence, I think, uh, Kay, thinking of things uh, just like you're pointing out, that although Aragorn's description here seems to be accurate, no reason to think it isn't, uh, nevertheless I think Pippin's statement is still true, that his wizardry has been falling off lately. Um, that still seems to be probably an accurate statement. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Kayla, we're going to go back and talk about that in just a minute. Um, let's see, good. Yes, and Kayla's asking about Fanor. Good, we talked about that. Um, a couple of you are bringing up politics and propaganda um, pausing because I'm wanting to be careful in how I approach this okay let me just explain why I'm pausing I'm pausing because to say yes I think Tolkien was thinking that way is perilous, because then you might think that I am saying uh, he meant Saruman as a commentary on modern politics, which I don't think is quite accurate. But if I say, no, I don't think that's right, or I don't think that's accurate, then I might be taken to mean uh, this has nothing to do with propaganda and modern politics. And it certainly does. here I get back to the applicability that he was talking about in his uh, f- uh, in his forward uh, to the second edition. Um, the lessons of Saruman are certainly applicable to modern politics. And I guess the way I would say it to be safer is that Saruman has a great many characteristics in common with modern politicians. <laughs> um, and that the concerns... That many people have about modern media and propaganda and things like that are also, uh, you know, things which are you know have have their echoes uh, in the Saruman passages as well. I'm cautious about. I'm cautious about making that connection too strongly for two reasons, um, and and I'm trying to. The reason I'm the reason I'm sort of flailing around here is I want to make sure to make the causes of my hesitation clear. Um, It's not just that I'm shy to talk about modern politics or anything, um, but it's an interpretive point. Here's the thing. There are two issues. One is that I wouldn't want to be reductionist. Um, That is, if we look at Saruman and we take from it... um, this applies to modern media or this applies to modern politics. We will miss a lot of what's going on. Um, but secondly, there's also a sort of propriety of, um, a propriety of interpretive approach that I feel to be violated by jumping to that. Um, it's the jumping to it, not the going there. It's the, it's the leaping there that, uh, gives me pause. And here's why. Um, it is very easy sometimes it's very compelling even to do the like association thing um, Saruman in this moment kind of sounds like a politician like a bad modern politician or Saruman in this moment sounds like a modern propagandist. And so then we, we immediately connect. We might, not, we might in our heads resist drawing an equal sign, which would be very bad, uh, between Saruman and propagandist, for instance, or Saruman and politician, for instance. Um, but still, if we have that, if we sort of go with, if, we, if we, we, we lead with that, we're like, okay, something or some things about him make me think of a modern politician. Okay, how is Saruman like a politician? Let's think about Saruman as politician. What happens now? Now we're thinking about politicians. We are not think about the text anymore. Right, We've sort of left Saruman behind, now we're thinking about politicians and kind of bringing them in to Saruman. Do you see what I mean? What I want to do, instead, let's look at Saruman and how he's presented in the book. Let's draw some conclusions about what kinds of things we see, you know, uh, we see Saruman doing. And once we draw those conclusions about Saruman, then we can take those conclusions and see how applicable we find them in different places. See what I mean by that? I just, I, I, I want to be This is the kind of care that I think is really necessary, and it's um, uh, if we're too reckless in jumping off, even in doing applicability. If we're too reckless with it, we can. It's not that necessary. I'm not like worried about violating the text. That we certainly can do that uh, if we're if we're very incautious, but rather. There's a richness in the text that we can miss if we do that. Because again, yeah, he is like a politician, but he's like a lot of other things too, right? And so if we're just thinking about that one angle, then we're missing the other angles, right? So let's start with the text and work out uh, from there. So again, a bunch of people were talking about it um, in that way. So I want to, um, I j- I just wanted to kind of address that generally. Um, Rachel is a really interesting observation. I find it interesting that Aragorn doesn't list himself as one who would be safe. Um, uh, uh, Someone else was also pointing out that Aragorn seems to be implying that he himself was potentially vulnerable in that list, too. I agree. But anyway, Rachel goes on. But in a later chapter, he seems to think that he would be able to wrest the Palantir from Sauron's will. Um, Yeah, in some ways, Saruman seems to be more powerful than Sauron, at least in in, in the managing of people. <clears throat> Possibly, but I'm not sure that that isn't a question of Aragorn as well. This is really a Two Towers topic because, of course, it's in the two it's a, or a Return of the King topic. Excuse me, because it's really in the beginning of the of, of Book Five that Aragorn is going to make the choice to um, try to wrest the Palantir from S- Sauron's will. He does allude to it. Um, you know that one could claim it by right, um, but uh, but I will. Oh, I will. I'll go there a little bit anyway because it does connect to some of the stuff we were looking at at the beginning of Book Three. Um, remember, at the time, I was saying about how Aragorn seems to have uh, a careful ear for the suggestions of fate. Right? He seems to be, um, he seems to be in some ways a, a bit fatalistic. That is, and when he sees this is the f- this is the the direction in which things are going, I feel that this is you know I was meant to do this. I will take this as a sign. He talks like that a lot. Um, he does the same thing when he gets the Palantir. Um, He believes that the Palantir has come into his possession for just such a purpose, um, that he, um, just as he in Rivendell took Boromir and Faramir's dream as a summons, right? that the fact that they were given this dream means that I am being called, that indicates that it is time, I am being called to return to Minas Tirith and declare myself as king, the time for the return of the king is now. Uh, That is, like, assuming we don't all die, now's the time. Aragorn makes that choice based purely upon how he's reading events, right? And, And especially that dream. And especially now that Isildur's Bane has awakened and all that stuff. So anyway, now, here... In that moment, with the Palantir, he seems to do a similar thing. Here, he is the king; he's the lawful uh, ruler of the Palantir, and it comes into his possession. And so, at this point—that is, at the point of this passage, the Flotsam and Jetsam chapter—when um, he is uh, um, when he is talking to Marion Pippin, that's not happened yet, right? Um, so he's still not f- sort of quite there yet. He's not the you know, like. I fully plan to challenge Sauron one-on-one pretty much any day now. I'm just biding my time. Like, that's not where Aragorn is. When he gets the Palantir seems to be the moment where he says, okay, all right, I guess now's the time. Um, you know, all right, Sauron, let's do this. Um, so that does seem to be a choice that he... So, so, Rachel, one thing I would point to is I think that he is in a very different place as far as his understanding of his role in what would be appropriate for him, and therefore what he can do. And I think that that's also... It's not necessarily that Aragorn has such a high opinion of himself that he's like, take on Sauron? Yeah, that's me. Uh, walk the paths of the dead? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm the destined one uh, who can do what no one else is able to do, so hook me up with that. I don't think that that's Aragorn's thinking at all, but rather, uh, I've been called to do this. I have to do... You know, I'm supposed to do this if I'm right that I've been called to do this, it'll work. (laughs) That I will have the ability to do it um, if it turns out that I was incorrect in thinking that I've been called to do it. Um, So I do think that his thinking changes between here and there. Yeah, uh, Rick was saying a similar thing. He's able to rest the Palantir because he was meant to use it. Um, Yeah, 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 I agree. I think that that's, um, um, I think that that's, that that's a good way to say it. Um, yeah, you know, he good. Uh, yeah, good. and Kay was also talking about the difference in his confidence because of his basis of uh, of, of 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 kingship. Um, yeah. Oh, Kay, that's a really good connection. Kay is connecting it back to the conversation Gandalf and Frodo have early on, uh, uh, way back in Chapter Two of of, of the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, that it's not about you, about your awesomeness or abilities. Remember that that wonderful passage. I always love that passage um, where. Uh, Frodo says, why me? Why was I chosen? And Gandalf's like, well, it's not because of any strength or ability that you possess. <laughs> it's like the most unhelpful thing ever. It would seem like the, like, cheer up, Frodo. Don't worry. You've not been, it's, uh, it's not because you're good or anything, right? You know, you're not strong. You're not awesome. Fact is, you really don't have very good odds to succeed. So don't worry about it. I mean, it's like, you know, Gandalf. Why are you giving him an anti pep talk at this moment? Right? He does the opposite of of telling Frodo, "It's okay, Frodo. You're good enough. You're strong enough. And dog on it. You can take the ring to mortar. Like that's not. It's like it's like the mirror reverse of the talk that that uh, Gandalf gives him. And Gandalf seems to imply that he should take comfort from this. Right? Hey, Frodo, it's okay. Like cheer up because you're small, puny, and you couldn't possibly handle this. So that's great. You know, um, so, okay. I agree. There is there is a a way in which Aragorn. I I think totally subscribes to that way of thinking, um, yeah yeah um, yeah yeah. Actually, that would be okay, Wouldn't that be a great line of like motivational posters? Right, <laughs> Gandalf's pep talks. Um, yeah yeah um, yeah. That would be awesome, actually. Yeah, that 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 totally should exist. Um, yeah, good, good. Yeah, Yana was pointing to a similar thing about his right uh, to use it. Um, yeah, good. Okay. Anyway, um, let me let me move on here from a second. No way. Well, one last thing I want to say about this passage before I move on, and that's that um, back to what I was saying about like why didn't this set up a red flag to the White Council before. Um, the the ability to influence others the ability to have power over the minds of others is something that seems quite common remember goadriel and the way that goadriel interacts with the company with their minds directly um she's testing them you know wh- whether you think it's okay or not okay i'm just pointing to the fact that she can do this right that she can she can see what's in their hearts she can uh, she can lead them to think and feel certain things. Um, she clearly has power over the minds and wills of uh, and wills of others. She could uh, um, she could use that if she wants to. And what I want to point out next is that she's not the only one who has this power. This is a passage from the Silmarillion near the end of the Valaquenta, um, and. Uh, who is being described here is the Maya Aloran, who is, of course, Gandalf, um, though he's not called that in the Silmarillion. But of Aloran that tale does not speak, that is the Quintus Silmarillion. For though he loved the elves, he walked among them unseen, or in form as one of them, and they did not know whence came the fair visions or the promptings of wisdom that he put into their hearts. In later days he was the friend of all the children of Iluvatar, and took pity on their sorrows, and those who listened to him awoke from despair and put away the imaginations of darkness." Gandalf has power over the minds of people, too. He goes around putting visions in their minds and uh, promptings of wisdom into their hearts. Um, he, uh, he, he, He awakes people from despair and prompts them to put away the imaginations of darkness. That's great! But notice what this is is a positive usage of the sim- a very similar power to what Saruman has um I would argue that the um the the difference between the two of them here is simply one of exertion like what what how are they using it um as as Kay is pointing out that this is exactly what he does to Theoden, right. Those who listened to him awoke from despair and put away the imaginations of darkness. What does he do to Theoden? Right, he says, uh, "It's not, uh, you know, uh, why don't you step outside with me? Things aren't as bad as you think they are." And Theoden's like, "Oh, okay, it's not, it's not that dark here." <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very simple. The healing of Theoden um, is, 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 is in its description, a very, very simple thing. Um, a lot of I know a lot of uh, Tolkien purists strongly dislike the exorcism scene of Theoden in the film. And certainly I find that much sort of cheaper. Um, It's not, there are ways in which what happens to Theoden is like an exorcism, actually. Um, But, you know, it's obviously, it's pretty showy. I was going to call it theatrical, but um, yeah, it is. It's, isn't, it's, it's, exactly the whole point. Um, but um, uh, but more importantly, it's not a question of Gandalf wrestling with Saruman for the control of Theoden's mind. Um, it's Gandalf leading Theoden to reject despair and put away the imaginations of darkness. Um, and all he does is convince him to look about him and recognize The fact that it's not as dark as he thought it was, right? Um, His mind has been led in one direction, and he and Gandalf is trying to lead Theoden's mind in the other direction. Kay says it would have been hilarious if the huge moment was just Gandalf pulling back a window curtain, yeah, but that's a lot closer to what happens in the book, isn't it? No, actually, look, it's nice, oh yeah, it is nice and sunny, isn't it? okay I mean and obviously, obviously there's more going on than that um but uh but yeah, okay, on screen, that would have looked uh, that would have looked, would have looked pretty silly um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, good. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to point out the similarities there. That I think it's it's pretty clear that Gandalf and and uh, Saruman are capable of uh, of doing the same thing. So what makes them different then? If they both have similar powers, and and therefore Saruman's power to influence the minds of others would not have set off any red flags. Indeed, he would have fit in, you know, like peas in a pod with all the rest of the members of the White Council. Um, Therefore, what is it that makes them different? What, where, Wherein lies the distinction? How do you tell the difference between Gandalf and Saruman? Gimli's asking this question, right? The two of them are, are, are alike. Notice how Gimli kind of prompts us to be asking this question, to be looking back and forth between Gandalf and Saruman. We get a lot of prompts in this direction, don't we? It's whole, the whole reason Gimli wants to go, right? He wants to, see, he wants to see if he can tell the difference between Gandalf and Saruman. Um, and I, I would think that the, the kind of... Uh, uh, cue that we get from that in the book is to, to look beyond simply the physical in looking at that. Well, let's look at that one piece of evidence, of course, that we uh, have very prominently displayed for us is Isengard itself, and in particular, how Saruman has fixed up the place. Uh, so let's uh, let's look at this. He clearly, Saruman clearly thought that Isengard was a bit of a fixer-upper when he arrived, um, and he's uh, he's made some upgrades. So let's look at them. One who passed in and came at length out of the echoing tunnel. It's just described the wall of of rock that come around and the tunnel underneath them. Those were already there. Those were pre-existing features, right? Beheld a plain, a great circle, somewhat hollowed like a vast shallow bowl, a mile it measured from rim to rim. Once it had been green and filled with avenues and groves of fruitful trees, watered by streams that flowed from the mountains to a lake. But no green thing grew there in the latter days of Saruman. The roads were paved with stone flags, dark and hard, and beside their borders, instead of trees, there marched long lines of pillars, some of marble, some of copper, and of iron, joined by heavy chains. Many houses there were, chambers, halls, and passages, cut and tunneled back into the walls upon the inner side, so that all the open circle was overlooked by countless windows and dark doors. Thousands could dwell there—workers, servants, slaves, and warriors with great store of arms. Wolves were fed and stabled in deep dens beneath. The plain, too, was bored and delved. Shafts were driven deep into the ground, their upper ends were covered by low mounds and domes of stone, so that in the moonlight the Ring of Isengard looked like a graveyard of unquiet dead, for the ground trembled. The shafts ran down by many slopes and spiral stairs to caverns far under. There Saruman had treasuries, storehouses, armories, smithies, and great furnaces. Iron wheels revolved there endlessly, and hammers thudded. At night, plumes of vapor steamed from the vents, lit from beneath with red light, or blue, or venomous green. All right. Observations? What do we get here? Let's see. Oh, good yeah uh, good good question and and, and I, I welcome questions uh from non native speakers um, uh, about uh, about because of course k- keep in mind um, if you're not a native English speaker and you're reading the Lord of the Rings in English and you're not sure about a word, keep in mind that is true of many native speakers in English. There are a lot of words that Tolkien uses which are not in general use anymore in the twentieth century or the twenty first century uh, so uh, never be a- 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 afraid to ask about words because it might not just be you um uh, but anyway, flagstones are, are are simply large paving stones um, that are you know that are sort of set close together side by side to make a to make a paved walk. Um, so the point is that he's replaced grass, any anything green and growing, with hard stones uh, that are that uh, that keep out that keep anything uh, f- from growing. Good, Jenny is uh, pointing out very sensibly, of course, that we should be remembering this is just what he's going to be doing to the Shire, right? Um, at that point, though, again, this is a Return of the King thing, and we'll come back to this uh, uh, on the fine day when we do the Return of the King. But, um, but certainly, you know, in the Return of the King, they say, you know, if, if he's going, if he's trying, if they're trying to make the Shire into a desert, they're going the right way about it, um, and that sounds like mere vengeance right, on Saruman's part. And when we get there, we'll look a little bit more at what Saruman is doing and why, um, in the Shire. But, uh, but Jenny, it is important to notice he's already done that with home, right? Um, he turned Isengard into a desert first. Uh, so in part, it seems to be just kind of what he does. My question is, why does he do it? And what does it show us about him that he does this? Um, And I want to be careful. It's easy to kind of oversimplify this. Be like, well, um, why does he cut down the groves of trees and replace them with marble, copper, and iron pillars joined by heavy chains? Because that decor says evil a little bit more than avenues of trees, unless you planted avenues of evil trees. And I'm not sure what those look like. I guess we'd have to go to some parts of Mirkwood to find that or something. Um, I guess... Particularly malevolent willow trees. No, but, but, anyways, like, but, but why? What does it show? What are the patterns there? Um, what do we, what do we see? Um, Chris asks, it's a control thing. That's a good point, Chris, I think. Um, one thing about growing things, they're unruly, right? Um, you want, especially somebody who is fond by his own admission of order, right? Um, uh, there's a reason you have to keep mowing your lawn, right? Because that darn grass just won't stay short like you could. You want it this tall, darn it, and it just won't stay. It is it is inveterately rebellious, uh, and you've got to put it in its place. Well, up here in New Hampshire now, I have to put it in its place about once every two weeks. Back down in Delaware, I used to do once every three days. But uh, but yeah, exactly. So there there is, I think... Uh, um, a, a, a level of that you know Chris, as it shows his mastery over nature yes uh in a sense he's moving beyond it even right it's not just that he's got nature under control he's 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 upgrading from nature, right forget about these unruly growing things um i'm gonna i'm gonna take control um, yeah good um Jenny, I agree also, his new decor is much more pragmatic for housing huge armies uh, than fruit trees and grass, too. Of course, you need growing things to feed the armies, but he's got fields with slaves and stuff. That's more efficient anyway. Um, Clearly, the terrain that's been replaced by uh, the, 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 the flagstones and the outlets from his machines and everything like that was totally useless stuff anyway, right? And that seems to be one of the themes that I would point to here, utility. What were those trees doing? Nothing. What was that grass accomplishing? Nothing. What point is it? Is is there to it? None. Right. Let's let's take it out. Um. Uh, so that's that's uh. That is another thing. K. I think of the same thing. I won't talk about it much for because it is outside of uh, uh, outside of this text. Um. But uh, Kay is reminded of. Uh, C.S. Lewis's book, that hideous strength, um, and uh, the N.I.C.E., whose vision of the world is one entirely denuded of all organic life, um, uh, yeah, I am I, reminded of that too. Kay. it's not exactly the same, I think, um, but uh, but clearly that impulse. You, you, one can certainly see some similarities between some of the manifestations of of of, ha- of how Lewis and Tolkien describe the manifestations of people going badly. I think that's one of the similarities that we can see. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Don, that's a great point. Um, Don says, Saruman is an anti-Goadriel. Lothlorien is her vision of paradise. Isengard is his. Yes. Though, in some ways... Some ways it's not opposite that is no question uh, no question Don that their visions of paradise are very different right almost opposite from each other um, whereas one is all monotones and metallic colors and stone um, it's cold and stone as bare and bare as bone the other one is bright and living and colorful I mean absolutely I mean you're right total differences total opposite ends of the spectrum as far as what their visions of paradise are. Though, I would throw out there the fact that they have dominated a land and made it into their own paradise they have in common, actually. Um, It's one of the things that's a little bit dodgy about Goadrio. What the little... There are a couple of red flags about I right? And I probably sound like a terrible Goadrio hater, but I, I'm not. Um, but I think that there are a bunch of red flags that we get. Um, she is an example, I think, not of, like, the paragon of goodness in every way, which is how some of the characters talk about her, um, I think Aragorn is wrong about her. For instance, Aragorn says, you know, on her, there is no stain. There is no evil in the, in the Lady Galadriel. He won't hear anything said against her. And, of course, Gimli, forget about it. But but I, they're wrong. There is, in fact, a stain on the Lady Galadriel. I think there's plenty of evidence for that. Um, but anyway, I, she has this temptation she doesn't go bad. not saying she's bad she's she is an example of somebody who has these same impulses but is but doesn't go the direction that Sar- that Saruman goes. Um, but nevertheless, Don, to get back to your original point, um, yeah and Don, you're you're saying the same thing. I like the way that you said Goadriel's on the knife's edge of going bad. Uh, they are flip sides of the same coin, I agree um, and and th- though Don, I will also say what your vision of paradise is does say a lot about you, right? So the fact that uh, Goadriel that that's what her vision of paradise is, does suggest intrinsically that she's in a more healthy place than Saruman is. Absolutely no question about that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Kirsten says, It's almost like Saruman is saying that anything he needs, he can make himself without relying on nature, so it's irrelevant. Um, Like the orcs chopping down trees without even the bad excuse of using them for for fuel, Um, yes, yes, good, Um, um, yeah, I agree. But notice it's not just utility. Like, he has some decorations. Maybe they, Maybe there is some... use. I assume there is a utility, for instance, of the long lines of pillars joined by heavy chains that he has on either side of the road. Presumably they're like guardrails of some kind or enabling his armies to march in a more orderly fashion. There's probably some utility there. But notice also I ju- that visual image. It's a striking visual image of those pillars, marble, copper, and iron pillars joined by heavy chains that replace uh, the avenues of... of, of uh, uh, fruitful trees. Um, we you see, we sort of think about those two things next to each other. And you know, what does it say? He's also not only are growing things unruly, uh, you know as 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 Chris was suggesting, and we talked about before, um, they're also kind of weak, you know? I mean, f- you know what fruit trees do, Die, crack. You know, you want lasting. You want strong. You can upgrade from those trees, right? Um, Grass does grow all the time and you have to cut it, but you know what else it does? Wither, right? You know what endures? Stone, flagstones. It's going to last, right? Um, That's wise. Isn't it wise, right? You want something that's going to last longer. You want something that, uh, that, 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 that you're really upgrading to. Something that's going to hold out better. Um, why have wood when you could have stone? Why have a living thing which could take sick and die at any minute when you could have an enduring thing like metal or stone? That seems to be another trend I think here in uh his uh his I was say his architecture. He didn't do any of the architecture. Uh he did the landscape design. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, let's see. Um Tom says, uh, early on in English, uh, wiser wisdom meant skilled in terms of craft, as well as sound in judgment. In the end, Saruman proves possessed of great technical wisdom, but he fails in soundness of judgment. I like that, Tom, that distinction. Um, almost... There's almost a mistaking of the one for the other, right? Just because you're skilled doesn't mean your judgment is sound, right? Um... But yeah, that um, that goes that leads straight back, Tom, to the meaning of Saruman's name. Many people uh, know this, most likely. But Saruman's name is lifted directly from Old English, from Anglo-Saxon. Uh, Searu um is a word um, in Anglo-Saxon which means uh, a skilled craftsman, somebody who is Tom wise in that skilled or skillful sense um somebody who has the ability to do lots somebody who's a really capable person is a is a is a is a, is a, is a, a saruman it's actually very closely related to the noun orthunk. Um, uh, that is the 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 cunning of your mind um thunk uh you might recognize um the root of the, the thunk that's the same word we get "think" from, um, so you know the, your, your orthunk um, is the cunningness of your mind. That same kind of cunning, that 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 sort of mechanical cunning. Um, so so Tom he he lifts it directly from that, um, but um, so yeah that 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 dichotomy between being clever and being wise, to use the modern English terms, um, is. Uh, I think, an important uh, an important uh, distinction. Yeah, Tom says that Saruman has the one and Gandalf the other, I agree. Um, now look at... Uh, oh, and I love, by the way, just one last thing I want to touch on in this passage. I love the way um, in the moonlight the Ring of Isengard looked like a graveyard of unquiet dead. He has gotten rid of the living things, right? But he has succeeded not just in making his... Um, his place inanimate he has succeeded uh in it it now evokes the undead as well um it looks like um it looks like a graveyard of unquiet dead a place where living things have been buried but they're not remaining dead they are they are unquiet for the ground trembled um it's really easy to miss that isn't that an awesome sentence Um, or kind of sentence fragment, Um, like a graveyard of unquiet dead for the ground trembled. Um, There's this sense of there is something under there, right? It's not a living thing. Um, Not an undead thing either. It's just machines. Um, But uh, the way that... uh, It's it's, it's a rhetorical technique of Tolkien to insert those really short sentences uh, uh, at key moments for the ground trembled. Um, Anyway... There's um, there's a bitter truth here for uh, Saruman, which uh, the narrator reveals afterwards. A strong and wonderful place was Isengard, and long it had been beautiful, and there were, and there great lords had dwelt, the wardens of Gondor upon the west, and wise men that watched the stars. But Saruman had slowly shaped it to his shifting purposes, and made it better, as he thought, being deceived, for all those arts and subtle devices for which he forsook his former wisdom, and which fondly he imagined were his own, came but from Mordor, so that what he made was not Only a little copy, a child's model or a slave's flattery, of that vast fortress, armory, prison, furnace of great power, Barad-dûr, the dark tower, which suffered no rival and laughed at flattery, biding its time, secure in its pride and its immeasurable strength. In the end, the joke is on Saruman, of course. Um, Though, quite a nasty joke, as it turns out. Um, Notice, Tom, the distinction here. Um, those arts and subtle devices for which he forsook his former wisdom. I'm thinking, Tama, that distinction you were just making about wisdom, right? Um, that he he still has art and subtlety, but he's forsaken wisdom. Um, so he has he has still a so- one sort of wisdom, um, but he's forsaken the larger sort, um, and for which he forsook his former wisdom in order to pursue those arts and subtle devices he chose arts and subtle devices over his former wisdom he's abandoned that for the sake of of the other um what's he doing why is he doing it um what he made was only a little copy it's it was not it was nothing only a little copy a child's model or a slave's flattery um so Saruman has actually made a little like scale model of Barad-dur, not literally, right? Um, I don't even think that Tolkien is suggesting here that he's literally imitating Barad-dur, right? That uh, you know, Saruman has had like scouts over there, like tell me about the system at Barad-dur. I want to, I want to integrate it here into Isengard. Um, I, I, I don't think so. I think the point is that in doing what he thought was good. Right, in order to make things better and better, he's deceiving himself. He's deceiving himself into thinking he's making it better. What he's actually doing is just going down the Sauron road. In fact, I think that what one of the one of the implications of this, one of the corollaries that I would draw from this passage is how do you think Baradur got to be the way it is? Right? Sauron also went down this same road as Melkor did before him. Um this is what it this is how you get evil um evil people are not evil people are not born they are made evil people are self-made always self-made um in tolkien's world and this is how you make yourself evil. evil 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 nobody becomes evil for the sake of being evil um they become evil because they think that they're doing things better they think this is an improvement um he is shaping it to his shifting purposes, making it better as he thought being deceived. Um So uh anyway, I think that um again this is this is sort of the truth. He's kind of pulling back the curtain and showing us here's what actually is going on at Isengard, right? Really he is going down Sauron's path, even though probably he still doesn't fully realize it. Um he may even still believe that he is resisting Sauron, that he is opposing Sauron. Um, Deep down, like, that that's, at the end of the day, that that's his long-term goal, right? Um, But, of course, he has long since ceased to actually be, in any real sense, on the other side from Sauron. Um, Apart from the fact that I know he's got the Palantir, and he was, uh, and he's been taking orders from Sauron, in a sense, Um, you know, he's been reporting back to Sauron, and Sauron has ensnared him, um, but uh, but I don't even mean that. Gandalf seems to believe Saruman is still playing his own game, um, that he is not that he is in in, in rivalry and not yet in service uh, to the Dark Tower. Are Gandalf's words? Um, so in other words, Saruman probably still believes that he is fighting the good fight, but his new methods are superior methods. Just as if you want to line a road, you know, pillars of marble and iron with heavy chains in between them are a much more effective way to line a road than an avenue of trees, right? So, uh, yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, Yana says, better as he thought sounds to him a lot like progress, as it's called. Um, yes, some of those, uh, those classic, um, those classic Tolkien uh, um, qualifiers or disclaimers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, compare this to... Oh, first of all, one one little side note I wanted to make. Um, lest anybody come away with the impression that changing from living things to, you know, from organic... Things to inorganic things is intrinsically bad, um, lest this sound like a like like an unwarrantable bias against uh, against uh inorganic life um, we should of course. Remember Gimli's long speeches about the Guttering Caves of Aglarond here in this uh, in these chapters as well, right? Um Gimli's passionate love for and desire to care for and experience and uh and uh and tend uh to the, the groves of flowering stone uh in uh in the cave, in the caverns under Helm's Deep. Um give wonderful testimony to the fact that there is wonder and beauty in the inorganic world, too. It's it, that, you know, we can't draw that kind of a dichotomy. Um, you know, Gimli might quibble with Treebeard's line in the song about uh, cold as stone and bare as bone. Um, okay, bones are pretty bare, but, you know, come on now. Don't be so harsh in, about stone, right? Um but of course, as we know, this is one of several reasons in which Ents and dwarves don't quite see eye to eye. Um, but uh, but anyway, I, I just wanted to kind of throw out that little reminder um, that, of course, it's it's not just about living things. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and and you're absolutely right, Jana. Um, the caves uh, it, it is uh, in a sense a more organic uh, um, uh, spectacle. Um, well, using organic here in the metaphorical sense, it's literally inorganic, um as it is minerals, but it's um it's it's organic in the sense that it has grown naturally, right? It is something it is it is a part of nature, uh not something that is uh, simply uh designed and, and, and controlled as Isengard is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um oh see a natural inorganic spectacle. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, right. Now um Let's look, comparing here um, Gand- uh, Saruman's, the, you know, the, the description, what what we learn about Saruman from Isengard here. Let's go back to his interactions with Gandalf and look at the direct contrast between the two of them as they interact. Um, we should start, of course, with his initial recruitment speech uh, as he's doing, uh, you know, he's delivering his recruitment speech for, you know, like the Armies of Darkness uh, to Gandalf there in... Uh, Uh, as ghanath is recalling in the council of elrond the elder days are gone the middle days are passing the younger days are beginning the time of the elves is over but our time is at hand the world of men which we must rule but we must have power power to order all things as we will for that good which only the wise can see "'And listen, Gandalf, my old friend and helper,' he said, "'coming near and speaking now in a softer voice. "'I said, "'We, for we it may be. "'If you will join with me, a new power is rising. "'Against it the old allies and policies will not avail us at all. "'There is no help left in elves or dying Numenor. "'This, then, is one choice before you, before us. "'We may join with that power. "'It would be wise, Gandalf. "'There is hope that way.' Its victory is at hand, and there will be rich reward for those that aided it. As the power grows, its proved friends will also grow, and the wise, such as you and I, may with patience come at last to direct its courses, to control it. We can bide our time, we can keep our thoughts in our hearts, deploring, maybe, evils done by the way, but approving the high and ultimate purpose, knowledge, rule, order all the things that we have so far striven in vain to accomplish, hindered rather than helped by our weak or idle friends. There need not be, there would not be any real change in our designs, only in our means. Okay. What do we notice here? Thinking about all these things we've already been looking at from the Two Towers and looking back to the recruitment speech that he gives to Gandalf here, uh, what do we see? What do we notice? Um... One thing that jumped out at me just earlier today, when I was reading it. um, The world of men which we must rule, but we must have power. Notice the capital W. The times of elves is over, but our time is at hand. The world of men which we must rule, but we must have power. Um, And then he emphasizes, I said we, for we it may be. And I think we can see him using the word we in three different ways here. The world of men, which we, capital we, those of us in charge, which I shall call we, must rule. But we, that is, those of us who are actually, not the titular we, right? But those of us who are running things, we have to have power, right? Those of us involved, those of us who are going to be the we, right, uh, must have power. And then the third time I said we, for we it may be, means you and I, right? We can be the we. You and I, we could be, like, Team Capital W-E, right? Uh, That could be us. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Yana asks, why would Maya rule the world of men? Because they can. That's the point, right? Um, Power is good to order things the way that you wish them to be is a desirable end and an attainable end in a world of men right but notice how he frames it it's not just like hey now's our opportunity instead he says we must rule it right we the wise must rule it um, it's 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 a moral imperative in fact right can we trust the the, the, the world of men to um, men? Oh, my goodness. Right, What an unpredictable, undependable lot they are. Right? No, 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 no. Obviously. The wise must rule. Everybody agrees with that. right? Those who have wisdom should be the ones in charge. Very well. That's us. right? But it's not going to happen by itself. Sadly, that's not how this world works. right? Uh, the whole world is not just going to defer to us because we happen to be wiser and more knowing than everybody else. No. We're going to have to seize power in order to assert that wise course, which everybody would want to have if they only knew well enough to ask for it, right? So let's uh, let's go there. Um, yes, Diego. Since they know better, they must rule them. I mean, again, they, they should. It's just the way it should happen. Um, yes, as Diego adds, no matter the means. Exactly. Well, because that you 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 want the best for these people. Right? And it's why you're doing it, obviously. Right? It's not a selfish thing. It's because you want the best for everybody else. And and they don't always know what they want, but you know what they want, and you know what's, better, what's best for them, because you're very wise, and you're much more wise than they are, right? That good which only the wise can see. They can't see it. Not being wise, they can't see it. So um, it's up to us. It's a hard task, right? Um, Ours is a high and lonely destiny. Um, K, doggone it, you got me quoting C.S. Lewis now. That's from The Magician's Nephew, from those of you who don't recognize it. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, good. Um, Kay asks, In the forming of Arda, didn't the Valar order things as they wanted them to be within the boundaries of the Song? Is Saruman's error, then, not in desiring order, but in seizing the right to order where he doesn't have that right? Yes, I think. I think I agree with that, Kay. Knowledge, rule, order. Nothing wrong with any of those things, actually. Um rule might sound intrinsically questionable but I I think it's clearly not intrinsically questionable in Tolkien's world um modern people don't like to emphasize modern people who like Tolkien don't like to emphasize this um but Tolkien is unashamedly hierarchical in this way Uh, Tolkien's world is very hierarchical there is definitely order and there is unquestionably rule um those are good things, totally good things, but to usurp rule is bad. Um, so Kay, in one sense, yes, seizing order, uh, claiming rule where you don't have the right to it um, when it is not yours to, to, to take, uh, yes, that is certainly bad. He certainly is not bad to desire order, but um, but again it's the difference between you know going back to the music of the Ainur as you were just talking about it's the difference between the way in which the Ainur are supposed to adorn the theme um based on their own their own artistry their own hearts and what Melkor does trying to 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 de, you know to, to 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 hijack it for himself um that is the difference between what Gandalf and uh and uh, um Solomon are doing here. Um, Kay says, like Denethor going bad because he's not satisfied with his part and wants to rise to kingship. Sort of. But I'm not going there because I refuse to be drawn like a fourth or fifth time today and talk about the return of the king. Um, we'll look at Denethor when we get there. Uh, but we're not there yet. But but yeah, kind of like that, Kay. Anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> good, good. Good. Uh, it would be wise, Gandalf. There is hope that way. Is it wise? Is there hope that way? In a sense, yes. Um, there is no help left in elves or dying Numenor. That's true. They're fading. They're going away. I mean, uh, Saruman is accurately recording which direction the arrow is pointing there, right? They are going downhill. He knows it, right? Um, against it, the old allies and policies will not avail us at all. True. True. That's correct, actually. Um and you're thinking, wait a second, no, 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 wait, hang on, that just shows what Saruman knows. The good guys are going to win, turns out, so uh, he was wrong. No, he's not wrong, actually. The destruction of the ring is a totally different question, right? Um, to take on the power using only the old allies? And here he's thinking back, like, okay, all right, last time Sauron got uppity, there was the last alliance right we okay we you know we got we got the numenorians together and the elves together i say we the wizards weren't there but anyway the numenorians and the elves got together and they took him out and don't forget that they simply flat took him out um they 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 they, they marched on sauron they laid siege to him they conquered him they defeated him okay and you know uh, and and there's isildur uh, standing with his foot on sauron's neck all right they defeated sauron that last time it's not going to happen again uh, you know, there's, there is no help in, left in elves or dying Numenor. Um, it's perfectly clear. And in The Return of the King, which I seem to not be able to avoid today, we see Gandalf explains very clearly, um, okay, everybody, let's make a plan, because we have absolutely no hope of victory, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's, uh, uh, Saruman is dead on. So what does he do? In a sense, you could say, Saruman and Gandalf start from the same observation okay, we can't defeat Sauron. We can't take him on, so what do we do? And they have two different answers to this question, right? Gandalf's answer is the quest for Mount Doom and the destruction of the Ring. Saruman's answer is let's join with it, or I appear to... Join with it. Let's subvert it, because like we totally won't be subverted ourselves, but we'll subvert it, right? Uh, and that's 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 totally the wisest plan. And you know what? On one level, he's right. Remember, we were talking about Gandalf and the the things that he argues and the choices that he makes. You know from a practical standpoint they don't really seem very practical and this goes back to this is where i was thinking about the uh, the discussions we had about aragorn back from chapter 1 and chapter 2 saying i'm going to leave frodo in the ring i'm going to leave them on their own and i'm going to go chase after merry and pippin makes no sense i am big picture you just sort of look at it from a you know a cold pragmatic standpoint that's a bonehead move right there because, you know, he's got his priorities all askew in that moment, but it's the right choice. He does the right thing, um, and things work out because he does the right thing. Gandalf, remember at the, at the, um, at the council, you know, the elves are saying, um, this would seem like the Council of Despair, of folly, I would say, if the long wisdom of Elrond didn't didn't prevent me, right? It's like you know, if it weren't Elrond and Gandalf saying this, I would call this a foolish plan. This sounds like the opposite of wisdom to me. Um Yes, it does, and it clearly would to Saruman too, right? Um he does have that kind of wisdom. That kind of pragmatic wisdom. Um but there's a different kind of wisdom. Um, Tom says, uh, Saruman seems completely cut off from the whole idea that Bilbo was meant to find the ring and not by its maker, and the chance of chance you call it uh, business, or the luck-as-it's-called thing. Without this understanding, there is no hope for any but Sauron. Exactly. That's what Elrond and Gandalf are seeing, right? They're saying, okay, no, there's another plan here. Um, there is another power at work, And this is how that other power operates, right? This is how things should go. This is our only hope. Is it going to work out? Might not work out. Doesn't seem likely that it's going to happen. From all practical standpoints, it seems like a very bad idea. But it's the only thing that we can really do and stay within the bounds of doing what is right. Again, like Aragorn's choice. Yes, I could say sorry, Marion Pippin, it's been nice, awfully sorry you're being tortured to death, but I'm going after Frodo, what can I do? I'm sorry. Right? He could do that, but he would be wrong. Um, it's the only... the destruction... seeking to destroy the ring at Mount Doom is the only way that they can go about attempting to achieve the end that is clearly the right end, victory, over Sauron, um, to conquer evil, by... Good means. Every other means that they would take to that end are bad. Galadriel gets this, right? This is the. This is what she's talking about. Her in her in place of the Dark Lord, you would have a queen's speech, right? She's saying, yeah, yeah, like I, I, I would take the ring for good reasons. I would want to achieve good ends. But those good ends, everything that is good about me, uh, would be corrupted, would be twisted because the means that I have taken. To get to that end are wrong, and this is why Frodo's offer of the Ring is the big test for her. She already mentioned, I've thought about this, right? And here the Ring comes within my grasp, and she mentions, um, what a what a great uh, um, what a great thing this would be for the for the for, for Sauron's Ring um, if it led me to take. The ring by force or fear from my guest, right? You know, this would be she would be like another big notch in the belt of the of the ring of power, right? It's already got it's already got uh, Isildur, right, <laughs> and Sméagol, and now Goadriel, the three that it would have corrupted it. Um, anyway, that would have been another great accomplishment for the ring had it led her to do that. And then she's and now you would offer it to me freely okay, that's really tempting. Because I was pretty clear on the fact that if I stole the ring from you or forced you to give it to me or tricked you into giving it to me, that would obviously be wrong. And so I know that that's the wrong means. I shouldn't do that. You're going to give it to me? That's super tempting, right? But again, she knows she would be achieving the the good end by bad means and that that would corrupt the whole thing. It would turn everything. It would twist everything. Um, Saruman... Seize the wisdom, um, the practical wisdom. These are the means that will be most effective for us to achieve this end. And the thing is, he's probably right. I think that that's, this isn't, now again, not right in the sense that it really would happen this way. He would certainly, I was, I was about to say, he would certainly become corrupted. He certainly already is corrupted and would become thoroughly corrupt. Uh, and there is no way he would end up simply replacing the uh, Dark Lord in this way. Um, but, um, but anyway, uh, he would, um, um, uh, he's right, I think, that this would be an effective, this is, this is the, the, the most clever means, uh, the likeliest to success, um, that they could, that they could adopt. Um, look at Gandalf's response. Saruman, I said. I have heard speeches of this kind before, but only in the mouths of emissaries sent from Mordor to deceive the ignorant. I cannot think that you brought me so far only to weary my ears. Um, in the movie, Gandalf says, um, Tell me, friend, when did Saruman the Wise abandon reason for madness? That's a little punchier, right? I mean, it's... it's. Uh, um, I kind of like it, that line, as a line and it works well in the film uh, and, uh, you know, is a good way to say, like, you know, no and I see through you and I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, insult you as well. But um, but that's not what Gandalf says. and I think it's important. Um, what abandoning reason for madness is exactly what Saruman has not done. It's almost the opposite of what Saruman has done. Um, if anything, it's precisely the opposite. What Gandalf and Elrond does, what are saying they should do sounds like madness, right? Oh, send it in the in the hands of a witless halfling, to quote somebody, right? Um, uh, that was Boromir, of course, that I'm quoting. Um, uh, into Mordor, that's mad. Barking mad, right? That is not that does not seem wise. That does not even seem foolish. It seems insane, right? It's exactly the brand of insanity that Saruman is unwilling to go to, unwilling to do. He's going to do what's wise. He's going to—it's he, it's reason precisely that he falls back on. What's the best way to get through this situation? Not by forming a little mini last alliance with the pathetic remnants of the previous last alliance. That's not going to work. What's going to work, right? He's using reason. He's not—he's not turning away from it. Um and uh um so anyway, I cannot think you brought me so far only to weary my ears is his comment. Right? I seriously, do I have to listen to this? And notice Saruman's response to that. He looked at me sidelong and paused a while, considering. He's trying to interpret this. What does this mean? What's Gandalf up to? Where does Gandalf really stand in this? "'Well, I see that this wise course does not commend itself to you,' he said. "'Not yet? Not if some better way can be contrived?' See where Saruman immediately goes? "'Oh, I get you. I see where you're going. "'This isn't the best way, is it? You're right. There's a better way. "'There's an even more effective way than this whole "'let's be underhanded and and undermine the regime from within' plan "'that Saruman has worked out. No, you're right.' we get the ring of power, we can take him down. That's, that's actually the best method, right? Uh, so I, I, I see where you're going with this Gandalf, right? No, he doesn't see where Gandalf is going with this at all. Which, of course, is what becomes so obvious when they confront each other at Orthanc. Again, Saruman to Gandalf, I endeavoured, speaking of that time previously, I endeavoured to advise you for your own good, but you scarcely listened. You are proud and do not love advice, having indeed a store of your own wisdom. But on, on that occasion you erred, I think, misconstruing my intentions willfully. I fear that in my eagerness to persuade you I lost patience, and indeed I regret it, for I bore you no ill will, and even now I bear none, though you return to me in the company of the violent and the ignorant. How should I? First of all, notice, I'm inclined to think that Saruman tells very few lies, actually. Um, Very few of the statements that he makes are simply and flatly untrue. Um, I think that that applies to most, if not all, of that first paragraph. Um, I endeavor to advise you for your own good, but you scarcely listened. That's probably what it sounds like. I can believe that Saruman might actually believe that. You are proud and do not love advice, which is why he just rolled his eyes when I tried to tell him what would be the wisest plan, right? Having indeed a store of your own wisdom, I know you're wise, right? And so you think you know even better than I do, but you know, I've got something to contribute to. If only you'd listen, but no, okay, that's fine. Um, In my eagerness to persuade you, I lost patience, right? I wasn't... uh, you know, <clears throat> holding you prisoner for Sauron or anything. I just was fed up, right? I, you wouldn't listen. What could I do? If I let you go, you'd have mucked things up, as indeed you did muck things up, right? So uh forget about it. I bore you no ill will. I wasn't setting out to destroy you. I wanted to help you. I wanted to convince you that the way I see things is obviously the right way to see things, and that the way I plan to go about things is obviously the right way, and that you should work with me, preferably for me, and then we would be working together, and you would be happy, and I would be happy, and we would be achieving these wonderful ends. Now, again, am I arguing that Saruman is being completely like, I don't, Gandalf, I don't get it. Like, what's wrong? No, I think that he's, that he is being deceptive here on purpose, but that's not the same thing as simply saying that he's lying, that he's just trying to cover himself. I think there is a level on which he believes these things, um, and in which he has deceived himself in addition to deceiving Gandalf. Um, yeah, yeah, um... Yeah, Diego says it makes... Uh, it, it. He makes it sound like Gandalf is the one who wronged him uh, and is magnanimous in forgiving Gandalf. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Robert says uh, the most effective lie is the one that deviates the least from the truth. Um, yeah, and even, I would say, I, I would add, the most effective lie is the one that the speaker has, in fact, convinced himself of, right? Uh, and you know, you know what this made me remember. This made me made me remember that line, which I've always found so striking. That a. Amir says to Aragorn back in chapter two, um, when he says, "We men of the Mark do not lie, and therefore we are not easily deceived." Uh, and that always struck me as deeply counterintuitive. Right? I mean, you think if if there is a people who is entirely truthful and therefore always assume everybody is telling the truth, that they would be the easiest of people to deceive. That is sort of the immediate thought one might perhaps have. Amir, however, says, Because we do not tell lies, therefore, we are hard to deceive. Why? Well, um, Gandalf doesn't lie, uh, and is not deceived even a little bit by uh, by Saruman here. Um, even though we know that Saruman, you know, Aragorn has said, Gandalf is now safe because the wickedness of Saruman has been revealed, but his wickedness hadn't been. It was that's when it was revealed, right? The fact, in fact, the revelation of it is owed to Gandalf's resistance, which, based on his own account of their conversation, suggests uh, it, it suggests that he wasn't even really very seriously tempted by the. You know, why have you brought me here only to weary my ears? Is his response, um, but. Um, Um, anyway, uh, he, part of deceiving seems, I mean, his lies and his deceptions are all of them rooted in the ways that he himself has been, has deceived himself, right? Um, he wouldn't be lying to other people, to all of the people that he lies to, had he not initially been lying to himself, um. And, uh, and, and, and I sort of, I'm interested in, in a sort of a, a, a potential connection there between those ideas. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, Gandalf's response. Oh, wait, hang on. Not, not his response yet. I didn't get through all of the, uh, all of the passage. Are we not both members of a high and ancient order, most excellent in Middle-earth? Our friendship would profit us both alike. Much we could still accomplish together to heal the disorders of the world. Let us understand one another, and dismiss from thought these lesser folk. Let them wait on our decisions. For the common good, I am willing to redress the past and to receive you. Will you not consult with me? Will you not come up? Will you not consult with me? What a wonderful question. You're not going to be selfish, are you, Gandalf? You're not going to be all about you, are you? Right? Uh, uh, Is a wonderful, wonderful question there. But again, notice his premise Gandalf, you and I are the wise, right? Uh, Just as he was in his previous speech appealing to this idea that we have a higher responsibility upon us, right? So he goes there again, though notice he's already changed in the way that he's talking about that. Instead of suggesting, it's our responsibility to order, you know, all of these, uh, all of these things, all of these people for the good. Instead, now he's explicitly being like, "Let us dismiss these lesser folk." Right? Um, obviously, you know, we are the one who are we're the ones who are designed to rule, and, and so I mean, it's 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 much much more overtly shady the way he's talking about these lesser people. Um, Gandalf's response. "'Saruman, Saruman,' said Gandalf, still laughing. "'Saruman, you missed your path in life. "'You should have been a king's jester "'and earned your bread and stripes, too, "'by mimicking his counsellors. "'Ah, me,' he paused, getting the better of his mirth. "'Understand one another? "'I fear I am beyond your comprehension. "'But you, Saruman, I understand now too well. "'I keep a clearer memory of your arguments and deeds "'than you suppose. "'When last I visited you, "'you were the jailer of Mordor, "'and there I was to be sent.' Nay, the guest who has escaped from the roof will think twice before he comes back in by the door. Nay, I do not think I will come up. But listen, Saruman, for the last time, will you not come down? Isengard has proved less strong than your hope and fancy made it. So may other things in which you still have trust. Would it not be well to leave it for a while, to turn to new things, perhaps? Think well, Saruman, will you not come down? It is such a wonderful contrast. Uh, the way that those questions, the questions with which they end their appeals, um, so marvelously reflect the character of those two. You have Saruman, who holds himself as the powerful, the wise, the lofty, the one who should rule and order all the world. And he's saying to Gandalf, come up here to where I am, and with me look down upon all these people. And there's Gandalf saying, come down, come down, right? Will you not come down and join me down here, Come down with the humble people, right? Get off your high tower, Saruman. Stop thinking of yourself. Stop thinking so highly of yourself and come down. Um, and it's a merciful gesture on Gandalf's part. What he is encouraging here is a fundamental change in Saruman's way of looking at things. Turn away from this path that you have chosen. Um, in the sort of deepest possible sense, he asks uh, him this. Um, But, of course, he's uh, not gonna do it, right? He refuses, accuses Gandalf of being drunk. Oop, oh, sorry. Gandalf has to uh, take the gloves off here. "'Come back, Saruman,' said Gandalf in a commanding voice. To the amazement of the others, Saruman turned again, and as if dragged against his will, he came slowly back to the iron rail, leaning on it, breathing hard. His face was lined and shrunken, his hand clutched, his back, his heavy black staff like a claw. Notice what has happened here. Saruman has been compelled to return against his will. Gandalf, with his will, has dominated Saruman. He has issued a command to Saruman and compelled Saruman to obey against his will. Gandalf did that. That's okay. (laughs) But it's important to notice that that's happening here. Gandalf has and uses that authority. "'I did not give you leave to go,' said Gandalf sternly. "'I have not finished. You have become a fool, Saruman, and yet pitiable.'" you might still have turned away from folly and evil and been of service but you choose to stay and gnaw the ends of your old plots stay then but i warn you you will not easily come out again not unless the dark hands of the east stretch out to take you saruman he cried and his voice grew in power and authority behold i am not gandalf the gray whom you betrayed i am gandalf the white who has returned from death You have no color now, and I cast you from the Order and from the Council. He raised his hand and spoke slowly in a clear, cold voice. Saruman, your staff is broken. There was a crack, and the staff split asunder in Saruman's hand, and the head of it fell down at Gandalf's feet. Go, said Gandalf. With a cry, Saruman fell back and crawled away. authority, Gandalf uses. This is Gandalf the Grey, uncloaked. I am not Gandalf the Grey, whom you betrayed. I am Gandalf the White. Then the statements of fact. The cold, hard facts. You have no color now. He chose, he abdicated his color, remember. He chose that. I cast you from the Order and from the Council. Your staff is broken. FYI, your staff is broken, right? Um, And his staff breaks the staff that he was uh, clutching, like a claw. Um, There's not a question of... In the previous speech, when Saruman was doing his, let's dismiss these lesser folk, um, you come in the company of the violent and the ignorant, which is also not a lie, of course. It's perfectly true! Right? Right? You know, you can sort of imagine coming in the company of the violent and the ignorant, they're all looking around, right? And uh you know, there's like, you know, Aragorn's like, Well, I am kind of violent, it's true and you know, and Pippin's like, I'm ignorant, right? And Amir's like I'm kind of you know Gimli is like I'm kind of both actually Um, yeah I mean they they are violent and they are ignorant compared to them I mean being ignorant just means they don't know that much there's there are many things unknown to them remember there's there's that lovely speech in the Return of the King which again I keep alluding to where Amir says you know admits his own ignorance like I, I don't know much about these high matters right but. I don't need to know much," he says. At that point, um, yeah, is Amir ignorant? Yep. Is he violent? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, anyway, Saruman says, um, I, "You know, dismiss these lesser folk and come up." Um, we sh- we shouldn't make the, just you know as, as I was suggesting before about hierarchies uh, in Tolkien. We can't make the mistake that Middle-earth is democratic. It's not democratic. It's not egalitarian at all. There are hierarchies. There are some who are great and some who are lesser. That is a plain and, I think, inescapable fact of life in Middle-earth. Um, and Gandalf demonstrates that here, right? Um, he doesn't... He is taking, in contrast to Saruman, a humble stance. But in his humility, through his humility, he has power real power, real authority, uh, and uses it. Simply Simply pulls rank. As Diego says, Gandalf is not uh, doing so to hold him as a thrall for his own purposes. Um, exactly. And again, it's a question of how. Just like what we were looking at uh, at the very beginning, about how they can influence the minds of others, Gandalf does it to encourage people to turn away from despair and to bring them hope, uh, and to, to 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 lead them to to uh to put away the imaginings of darkness saruman uses it for other purpose right he wants to daunt little people with his will same power used in very different ways <clears throat> saruman isn't wrong that he and gandalf are of a different order he's right he's right that he and gandalf are wise wiser than the others more knowing than the others has more power than the others all true Gandalf uses it for good, and he uses it in the right way. Um, he uses it to cast down not just those that are in power, but those who have put themselves in power. Those who would elevate themselves, he uses his own authority in his humility to cast them down. Um, and that's... Um, that's, uh, that's the way the hierarchy work works. The hierarchy is also, in its way, a reverse hierarchy. That is, that those who are highest should be the servants of all. Those of you who are familiar with it will realize that I have lapsed there into quoting the New Testament, um, because that does, in fact, see, you know, that, that teaching of Jesus is certainly, I think, one of the principles um, upon which the the the, the hierarchy of Middle-earth functions. Notice that Gandalf alludes to that here. Um, A statement which, you know, as uh, Gandalf says, he fears that he's beyond Saruman's comprehension. I'm going to bet that when Gandalf says, you might still have turned away from falling and evil and been of service, that Saruman misunderstood him. I bet when he said that, Saruman hears only, you should have served me. right? You, You could have been of service to me. Um, you should have joined with me instead of asking me to join with you. But that's, of course, not what Gandalf means. He is serving others. You could have done the right thing, Saruman. You could have used your power for the service of others. Um, preferably, even to the extent of sacrificing your own life, like, kind of, Gandalf did, right? Uh, so, um, again, that's, that's the model. That's, 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 what, that's how power is to be used, that's why the hierarchy exists, not because some people should be dominating others, that dominating others is bad unless you happen to be one of the lucky hierarchy, in which case that's what you should be. No, so that you can serve others. The hierarchy is always a hierarchy, not only of power, but also of service. Um, and you think also of the, of the, the love that the Silmarillion speaks of that the Valar have for not only the children of Iluvatar but for the entire world. It is for love that they bind themselves to the world and become, you know, the the, the Ainur who bind themselves and become the Valar. Um, do they rule the world? Yes, in order to serve the world, uh, in order to, uh, in order to show their love for it in that way. Um, Okay, well, we've come to a reasonable stopping point in our discussion of Saruman, though. Needless to say, I've gotten no further. Um, I, those of you who have submitted topics, um, I will um, all the comments you've made. I, 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 I can keep those, so I can come back to those at a later point maybe at some point we can do some, a couple bonus sessions or something, and, uh, you know, some, like, just pure kind of Q&A stuff to follow up. Um, that sounds like a good idea. I just had it off the top of my head, but maybe we'll do that. Um, so if we, if there are topics you really wanted to talk about and we haven't talked about, don't despair. Maybe we will get a chance to, um, but I do have to go. Uh, it's, uh, time for me to Go upstairs and feed my children now. I think, but uh, but anyway, thanks everybody for uh, joining me. This was a really fun class. I want to encourage everybody who didn't um, to who who didn't contribute uh, to our discussion today. I know many of you were here, and uh, I, I, a comparatively smaller percentage of you uh, were regular contributors. Feel free, go ahead and make comments and observations. Uh, just type them in as we go. Um, I think that the, though I can't always get to all of them. Um, uh, as you can tell, I do really like uh, reading what you have to say uh, and interacting with that so uh, so, I hope you will. Uh, you will uh, you will join in with us next time. Uh, speaking of which, next class we begin book four. We start off with the taming of Smirgo as of Monday night uh, uh, at nine thirty. Actually, also I should give some advanced warning. Next week on Thursday, I'm going to have to change the schedule. I've got something that came up on Thursday afternoon next week, um, so I'm not going to be able to be available to do it at my normal time. Rather than shifting it to an evening time, um, I want to be um, I want to be more. Uh, again the reason i'm doing this is to be time zone sensitive uh and to, to be able to do this at a time when others like especially europeans um where it might be a little bit easier time for them maybe a little bit easier uh if it's easier on uh, the uh, new zealanders in the morning uh than in the afternoon but anyway um i uh, uh so i'm i'm going to reschedule it for another afternoon my initial guess here—it's—it's it's, it's a week away, which feels like forever—but um, I'm, I'm thinking probably Friday instead of Thursday. But um, I will uh, keep you posted. Keep an eye out on the Facebook page and my Twitter feed, and I will—I uh, uh, will let you know. Um, so, um, anyway, thanks very much, everybody, uh, and I will see you guys on Monday. Thanks, bye.